So, Mark. Yes? As we both know, 2021 was a huge year for rabbits in movies. I mean, I can think of Peter Rabbit. The, the Runaway. That's who you're the talking runaway. about. Yes. Okay, so that's one. On top of that, we have The Rabbit in the Power of the Dog. Oh, right. Kirsten Dunst pets it. It's very luxurious. I feel like it's no year that Us came out. I think the year that Us came out was a really a high point for rabbits in cinema. Well, I mean, part of it was like the Us trailer was in theaters at the same time that The Favorite was in theaters. And The yes. Favorite was the same year as the first Peter Rabbit. Okay. That was just, to me, when you talk rabbits in cinema, it's Peter Rabbit, The Favorite, and Us. Okay, but I'm going to, I want to run through this with you. So we got Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway, which has six rabbits in it. Only six? Peter, Benjamin, Bunny, Flopsy, Mopsy, and Cottontail. And then this new, like, rough and tumble, like, London robber rabbit. The city rabbit. Exactly. You got the power of the dog rabbit. There's a rabbit named George in Nightmare Alley who gets petted by David Strathairn a whole bunch. Okay. Good and for then him. There is Bugs from The Matrix Resurrections. Also Bugs Bunny in Space Jam, a new legacy. Also Bugs Bunny in Space Jam, a new legacy. See, that's a ton of rabbits across a that's bunch of so movies. many rabbits. Is Bugs Bunny in Matrix Resurrections? No, there is just a character who is named Bugs. And when she says her name, she says, like the rabbit. Huh. That is even less on the nose in a way than the white rabbit tattoo in the original. Yeah. Some subtlety. I still need to watch that. I am up to Matrix Reloaded. So I still have revolutions to get through before I can resurrect. Uh, Resurrections, good movie. I also had to watch the sequels for the first time. (laughs) Which I would say you don't necessarily need to do. Like, you need to be familiar with the original It's better if you've seen the sequels, but it is not necessarily essential. Okay. I might just read a summary of Revolutions. That, I think, is the worst one. I enjoyed Reloaded, and the weird techno music orgy happened so much earlier in the movie than I thought it would. That's set up! That was part of the, like, plot building. Yeah. I think Reloaded is pretty great. I enjoyed it. Resurrections, I've heard, is... Not as fun. Resurrections no. is really good. Revolutions, Revolutions. I think it's I, not as fun. These titles are too similar. It's complicated. It's complicated for me. They all start with re. Um, speaking of The Matrix Resurrections, which you have not seen, which definitely means you have not seen it in a movie theater. That is I thought true. that we could start off our episode, which will be partially about film in 2021, by working our way through seeing how well you can do on the highest grossing films of 2021. Let's do it. This is We've done an this for a couple of years. Year. Right. You spent much less time in a movie theater this year than you would have two years ago. That is true. But I didn't spend zero time, unlike 2020. Right. That said, I think you have seen one of these movies. Yeah. The movies I have seen in theaters, I do not think are cracking the top 10 except for one. But something tells me that Spencer... The (laughs) Diana, Princess of Wales biopic starring Kristen Stewart, was not a top-grossing film of 2021. Well, you gotta remember all those Pablo Lorraine heads who are just banging (laughs) down the doors of the AMC. The Lorraniacs. That's good. He should trademark that. (laughs) Yes, I will email him after this. He's just Pablo at Gmail. Like, he got in early. (laughs) I mean, the thing is... If I tried pablolorraine at gmail.com, pablo.lorraine at gmail.com, 
I'd probably get to him. Plorraine yeah. at gmail.com. All right. Anyway, so do you want me to go from 10 to 1 or 1 to 10 on this? Let's go from 1 to 10 because I think my like first few will be better. Okay. Uh, I'm just going to tell you of these top 10 movies at the domestic box office for 2021, one of them is not from an existing franchise or universe. Okay. Number one is No Time to Die. It is not. Okay. That might be international. It's not no. number one international, but it's higher internationally than it is okay. in the US, in part because the British love James Bond. Yes. It is very much number one in the UK. No, number one actually is uh, still in theaters. There are three things here oh. that are still in theaters. Uh, Spider-Man? Yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home currently has $536 million in North America, oh and it's going to make a whole lot more. So that's number one. All right, number two Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. It is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Okay, And just for your context here on Spider-Man, Spider-Man is currently at $536 million. Shang-Chi in number two is at $224. Oh my god. Yeah. People love the Spider-Man, and other people love Alfred Molina. (laughs) But it's the thing of, like, Spider-Man is playing, like, a number one movie of a non-COVID year. Yeah. And everything else is playing, like, blockbusters in COVID. I really am most intrigued by Spider-Man because of Alfred Molina coming back as Doc Ock. He's all right in it. The one who's really good is Willem Dafoe. Okay. Well, I didn't know that Willem Dafoe was in this one, too. The Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield of it all, not interesting. Alfred Molina and Willem Dafoe, now I'm Okay, Andrew Garfield is also really good in this movie. Remember how Willem Dafoe was in Aquaman, just, like, riding a dolphin? He was great! He was so good in that movie. I love him. 2022? 2022, we're going to be talking about Aquaman 2 in this list. Yes, we will. Oh my god, I love Willem Dafoe. Okay, are there any other Marvel movies this year? There are. Oh, God. Number three is... Oh, Black Widow. Okay, Black Widow is number four. Okay. Number three is based on a Marvel Comics character, but is not produced by Marvel Studios. Oh. The top four are all Marvel Comics characters. Okay. Um... Hmm. Is it, like, someone who you'd say, oh, that's a Marvel Comics character? No, it's one that everyone knows is a Marvel Comics character. Okay. I love this title because it sounds like a mom, like, scolding their child. Oh, is it just, like, a a, a word? No. It's, like, a name and then an instruction. So it sounds like a kid has been misbehaving. Oh, I don't know. Someone stop? Someone um, it stop stars me? Earlier this year, Mark... There was an article where somebody interviewed sound editors and sound mixers throughout Hollywood to ask, like, why are movies so hard to hear now? Mm -hmm. And the lead of this series was specifically blamed in the article. Like, multiple sound mixers were like, well, this actor likes doing weird voices that are hard to understand. And then other people are mimicking him. I do not know. The actor is Tom Hardy. Oh, Venom, let there be carnage. I love imagining, like, Venom's mom being like, Venom, 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 let there be carnage. (laughs) Like, Venom has been stopping there from being carnage, and his mom needs him to move on. Venom, just let there be carnage. For the last time. (laughs) For the last time. They really blame Tom Hardy specifically? Yeah. 
Wait, That's Tom sick. Hardy had to dub all of his dialogue in The Dark Knight Rises because the voice that he shot the movie with was just incomprehensible. Someone needs to stop him. I am impressed by the fact that he is like one of the prettiest men in Hollywood and is just absolutely determined to hide that as much as possible, either behind weird voices or weird masks or both. Yeah, he's he strikes me as just a very weird dude. Yeah. All right, so number one, Spider-Man. Number two, Shang-Chi. Number three, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Number four, Black Widow. Number five is the one of these that you saw in theaters. Dune. Dune is not on here. Oh. There are no movies on this list that were day and date on streaming. Okay. Well, I did so see So Space Dune. Jam also not here. So, uh, then it's F9. It is F9, The Fast Saga. A great film. Number six is the last Marvel movie on this list. How are there so many Marvel movies this year? Um, I don't know. what. Really... Well, we're going to kick off next year with another Marvel Comics character when we get to see Morbius. I, for the longest time, thought that was going to be a Morpheus movie. <laughs> and I was kind of sad when I found out it was not. Um, this movie is directed by our reigning best director. Winner. Oh, The Eternals. Yeah, Chloe Zhao's God, The there Eternals. there's so much Marvel this year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part of it is that there were two Sony movies that are Marvel characters. Yes. All right. Everyone, All right. let's take a breath. Number seven is No Time to Die. Okay. Number eight. Number eight is a sequel. We released an episode to tie into this movie. But then oh, the movie got delayed 13 months. Um, uh, uh, a Quiet Place 2? Yes, A Quiet Place Part 2, which is the oh earliest God. release of any of these. That opened yeah. in May. <laughs> we, re- we recorded a Quiet Place episode like May of 2020. No, we recorded it in March of 2020. Oh it's like the God. last thing we recorded before everything shut down. Bonkers. It's like that in Little Italy. Oh, <laughs> uh, Little Italy. Why do I have a masochistic urge to watch that again? Here's the th- That's one of those movies. It's like the spirit of Christmas. It seems like it should be fun. Yeah. It's like I want to show people Little Italy, but I don't think it was fun. But in my head, when I had describe fun. It, when you describe it in your head, even to yourself, all of the elements sound like it should be fun bad, but it is in fact not. Yeah. I will save myself the trouble and just go back to Birdemic. <laughs> there you go. All right, number nine is the one of these that is not in an existing franchise or universe, although a sequel has been greenlit. And an existing character played by the star weirdly played a large role in the marketing, despite not being in the movie. What? (laughs) So the lead actor in this movie also plays a popular character in another series, and he appeared as that character to promote this movie. But there weren't any Jerry Seinfeld movies where Barry the Bee was advertising for them. You are correct. (laughs) That's the first series I thought that they would do something of that nonsense level. What genre of movie is it? Um, action comedy for all ages. Uh, Jungle Cruise? Not Jungle Cruise, uh, because that is another day and date Disney Plus. Oh, right. But that vein of film? Yeah, this movie, that's a little more adventure whereas this has, like, guns in it. But they're, like, oh. fun guns. Can I have an actor? Um, yeah, it stars Ryan Reynolds. Oh, Free free Guy? Yeah, Free Guy. A pretty fun movie. Oh, it looked terrible to me. I was wary of it, but it actually is a pretty fun movie. And it, I think it is better than its marketing. So, did Deadpool advertise? Yes, uh, 
Deadpool free appeared guy. in commercials for Free Guy. That may be why I thought it would be bad. I understand that. Number 10 right. is probably Number the 10. worst movie on this list, contending only with Venom Let There Be Carnage. Was Venom Let There Be Carnage bad? I did not love it. Didn't you like Venom, though? I did not. Oh, <laughs> My okay. students loved Venom. I, that said, just, I think the highs of Venom 2 were much higher than anything in this movie, which is still playing in theaters, doing okay. Um, it's like a classic legacy sequel. Many years after... Well, many years after the most recent installment that it acknowledges. Oh, Halloween Kills. It is not Halloween Kills, uh, which I did not like. But that was day and date on Peacock. Oh, it was. Uh, I hate that I want to watch it because Kyle Richards is in it. But that's just who I am. I'm currently watching the season of Real Housewives where Kyle Richards was filming Halloween Kills. And so she shows up in the first episode of that season with bangs. And Nick's just like, why does she have bangs? And I go, oh, it's probably because she's filming Halloween Kills. And like within five (laughs) minutes, she explains that she has bangs because of the movie and she doesn't like them. Amazing. We're going to have more bangs conversations later in this episode. I... Oh, God, bangs. <laughs> Nick got so mad at me because every time she showed up, I also did just say bangs. <laughs> um, All right. Well, okay. anyway, this movie is directed by the son of the director of the original movie. We have covered the original movie on this podcast. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. This movie also does a truly heinous thing in that it hangs its emotional climax on digitally recreating a beloved actor from the original who is now dead. Oh, okay. I don't think I know what this is. In this franchise, it makes sense for a dead person to show up. Oh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah, Ghostbusters Afterlife is a is a gross movie. Who do they recreate? Harold Ramis. Oh, they... Ew. Oh. It's, it's really gross. I really don't like that. Um, also, Mark, I'm just going to throw this at you. What genre would you say Ghostbusters is? I mean, the 1980s one is an action comedy. Uh, no one told Jason Reitman that it was supposed to have jokes. It's Ghostbusters is more comedy than action. Correct. You know what it's not? Star Wars. And this movie is basically The Force Awakens. And it treats, like, one of the fun things about The Force Awakens is, like, a sense of rediscovery of, like, the magic of all this. It's Harrison Ford saying it's true on the Millennium Falcon. Ghostbusters Afterlife treats every artifact of Ghostbusters 1984 with the same reverence as Harrison Ford walking onto the Millennium Falcon. That is just not the vibe. Yeah, it's a bad movie. Ghostbusters is a film in which someone receives a ghostly blowjob. There is nothing serious about it. The funniest thing that happens in Ghostbusters Afterlife is the premise of the movie is like Harold Ramis has died. And so his estranged daughter, Carrie Coon, who can no longer pay her rent and is like inherited his place. She and her kids like move into his weird like dirt farm in the middle of nowhere. And when they go in, there's this like enormous stack of books in the living room. And I was bored already. So I'm like paying attention to what's in the stack of books. And like prominently placed in the stack of books is a copy of Allegiant. Of the Divergent series. Oh my god. And I like the idea that old man Harold Ramis, while he was like doing experiments looking for ghosts, was also working his way through Divergent. Also, I never got the sense in Ghostbusters that ghosts were people that were dead. 
Uh, you are correct. Be... I, I did not get that vibe either. Ghosts seem to be more like monsters. Like, I don't think yeah. Slimer is a human soul brought back from the dead. I mean, we don't have time to unpack Ghostbusters Afterlife, but there's a lot of questions like that. Like, why are there Stay Puff Marshmallow ghosts? Those only happen in the first one because when they, like, cracked open the temple, Dan Aykroyd thought of marshmallows. Like, I think it's a bad, dumb movie. All right. Well, I will not see it. I was never Good. going to see it. I had zero interest, but you know what I am interested in? Starting the episode. Welcome hey! to We Love the Love, one of my better segues in a while. This is a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are any of these animals actually Ooh. dateable or even likable? Don't date animals. Also, don't date the humans in this movie. They're all bad. Not all of them. I have my answer. Okay. (laughs) It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we're starting the new year with a return to one of the most important things we do on this podcast, Mark. uh, Covering the films of DreamWorks Animation. This is our 15th installment in that saga as we look at 2006's Over the Hedge. The worst part about hearing that it's our 15th is that there's so many more to go. <laughs> We've done most of the original of the original ones. Like, not counting the sequels. We are making really good progress. That is true, but I feel like we've put off some really bad ones. Well, we haven't done Turbo yet. We have not done Turbo. That, I think, might be the one I am dreading the most. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to talk Turbo. <laughs> I think, honestly, we should just rip the Band-Aid off and do that sometime soon. Oh, we're doing it in 2021. Yes. Uh, 2021 is over, Will. We're doing it in 2022. (laughs) Wow. So, yes, today we are talking about Over the Hedge, a movie that, when I pulled it up on the rental, it said 83 minutes, not rated. And I said, is this a movie that came out? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I also watched the not rated version of this, and I would desperately love to know what is different from the theatrical Because, I mean, you and I remember the age of, like, the unrated DVD cover when, like, somewhere in the DVD boom, studios realized, like, oh, if we just put a deleted scene into the movie, whether it's raunchy or not, it is now the unrated version of the movie because it's not the one we submitted to MPAA. And so they would sell the unrated version at, like, Target or whatever. And, like, dumb, like, 13-year-olds would think they were cool buying that. Right. Basically, I always saw the unrated version as a promise of boobies. And yes, that is also what I thought. There were no boobies. I didn't see the point. And there were none in this movie, but we did see a naked butt. That is true. I'm also it was not a actually butt. interested in boobies in that way. Yeah. But that is what I thought I was being sold. Um, had you seen the film Over the Hedge before? I had a long okay, time me too. ago. I am surprised... That both of us have seen it, because... (laughs) I was not betting on that. Boy, does it have no cultural legacy. (laughs) I saw this movie in theaters. I saw it as a blockbuster rental. Okay, sure. And I have to say, the film Hoodwinked, with no E, which I have not seen, I think, and is universally described as a bad movie, has a stronger cultural imprint than this one, I would say. Oh, definitely. And this one was fine. Yeah, it's like perfectly okay. We've seen worse DreamWorks. We've seen better DreamWorks. 
Yeah. This it definitely... is ugly as sin. Oh, God. The animation is so bad. It is truly dreadful. And there were better animated, better looking animated movies that year. Like, Happy Feet is a better looking movie than this. Cars is a better looking movie than this. <sighs> this movie's no Shark Tale. No. Nor is it a Madagascar. But it's no How to Train Your Dragon. It stands nowhere near the Croods. It is nowhere near the Croods. Because you know what? The animation in this movie is... It's cruder. It is, it is cruder than the Croods. The Croods hit it at exactly the right level. And that level... Cruder than the Croods sounds is... like a Girls 5 Eva song. <laughs> it does. Uh, I'm so excited that it's getting a second season. Yeah, what a great show. If you have not seen Girls 5 Eva, listeners, please pause the episode and go watch it. And then come back. Head on over to Peacock. Um, okay, so Over the Hedge is based on a newspaper comic, which is the reason that I saw it in theaters. Uh, this came out in 2006, so I was in middle school. You were the only person I know who would say, I went to go see this movie because it was based off of a <laughs> newspaper comic in the year of our Lord, 2006. Here's the crazy thing. The Washington Post did not carry over the hedge. I had not read it. But you just heard it was based off a newspaper comic, and you said, I love the funny pages. So you bought a ticket in your, like, Model T Ford and (laughs) went and saw the movie? It's worse. It was Memorial Day weekend, and my family was going to, like, do a bunch of stuff. And so my sisters and I each, like, got to pick a thing we were going to do over the course of the weekend. And I was like, we should go to the movies. And my parents were like, great, what? And I was like, Over the Hedge is based on a newspaper comic. (laughs) So my parents paid, like, 50 bucks. (laughs) For us all to go see this movie in theaters. God, uh, I think we may have Netflixed this back when they shipped us the DVD in the mail. Oh, sure. We were very early adopters of Netflix. I was a devoted reader of the newspaper comics, and I would read them every day, and I would cut out the ones I thought were funniest. Oh, my God. Do you have a little album still of all the ones you glued in? At my parents' house, I might. And let's be clear, there were several. (sighs) I enjoy reading the comics, and I liked it as a kid because my parents didn't get the AJC delivered, so I usually only saw them at my grandparents' house, and it was like the Hilton Head local paper, so it was not all of the comics, so I wasn't getting the fully immersed world, but even still... I would not cut them out like my grandma did. It was always weird to me when I traveled and like I would be like reading in at my grandparents' house in like the Philadelphia Inquirer and they'd have comics that I was not used to and I'd be like, who the heck are high and low is and like how dare they be on my comics page? <laughs> you were very devoted to the Washington Post syndicated comics and no others. Exactly. Um, except I did read Sherman's Lagoon online for a while because the post only carried it on Sundays. I had every Calvin and Hobbes collection and most Farside collections, but that was my main foray into the world of newspaper comics. I mean, obviously, yeah, I had like the full runs of Calvin and Hobbes and Farside. I really liked Foxtrot at the time, and I was a huge, huge Pearls Before Swine fan in the early years of that strip. I think it was like an all-time great strip for like 10 years and now is a pun machine that, frankly, the early years of the strip would have mercilessly mocked. Yeah, I mean, that sounds about right. I always was so confused by the serious ones. Oh, like, like uh, Sally Forth? 
Yeah. The soap and, opera like, comics. Mary whatever. Mary Worth, Sally Forth, Rex Morgan, MD. Yeah. Those baffled me more than most things in life because I, as a kid, was told that these were the funny pages and this comic <laughs> is not funny. I mean, the thing about the drama ones, like the soap opera comics, is that they are like trying to be soaps, but you have to reestablish what's going on every like five panels because it's a new day. Right. It's not the best method for serialized storytelling. In 2014, when the original Spider-Verse comic series came out, the like marketing pitch was every Spider-Man ever will appear at some point in the course of this crossover. And they actually had, like, tracked down and tried to document, like, what is every Spider-Man, like, version of Spider-Man that has existed. And even if they just appeared in one panel, like, they were there somewhere. It's, like, all of them except for, there are, like, four that they weren't able to use for some reason. But there was a tie-in comic where, like, every page was a different Spider-Man from something, from, like, a video game or whatever, doing a story within this crossover. And one page was... Spider-Man of the Amazing Spider-Man newspaper comic trying to have a conversation and restarting it like every three lines. <laughs> that That's funny. I will say the Marvel movie now I am most excited about next is the Spider-Verse sequel. Yeah, of course. I think Spider-Man is one of the better heroes. He absolutely is. And makes for great video games. Unfortunately, Spider-Man does not appear in Over the Hedge. No. You know what does appear in Over the Hedge? A turtle losing its shell a lot. And I would just like to point out the spine of a turtle is like directly attached to the shell. It is not removable. I have a lot of thoughts about Vern the turtle voiced by Gary Shandling losing his tail because number one, at one point he references like he's so uninterested in exploring. There are parts of his shell he has not explored. And I'm curious about what that means. Two, when he takes off his shell, we see his little green turtle bottom. Does that mean he's pooping in his shell? Or does he take it off to poop? That's a great question. So, does Vern have to get naked to poop? Also, where was his tail when he was naked? I can answer that question. (laughs) Okay. Because in 2006, when I was dutifully reading the Washington Post comics section... Somewhere in there, either like in their movie coverage, which was in this, these were all in the style section, like the movie stuff, the comics. And then on the back page of the style was the kids post, like a one page news for kids. Somewhere in there, I don't remember which section, there was a piece about Over the Hedge. And one of the directors said that they made the deliberate choice to get rid of Vern's tail when he didn't have his shell on because it looked too much like a dick. Wow. Like if you're seeing him from the front. Well, you never see him from the front when he's naked. Yeah, but it did give an interesting new spin on the emphasis he puts on his tail tingling. <laughs> oh God, that the I I have moved past when I was a kid. I was like super pedantic and really annoying about movies. What? But for some reason, this one trope of turtles taking their shells off—if it's not done in a funny way—I just like it makes me really mad. And I think part of it might be that I found a lot of turtle shells as a kid and learned very on that their spine is in the turtle shell because they were just like, you know, decaying corpses that I was picking up. And it's very imprinted in my brain that that's how turtles work. Yeah, that makes sense. I have not gone around scrounging for turtle shells, but I'm glad that you had that experience. I don't know why I was just like stumbling across turtle shells. A lot of dead turtles in Georgia, I guess. So, Mark, since you object, I'm going to give you some alternate versions of this movie that were considered. So, 
Uh, the comic was originally optioned by Fox. They wanted to produce it as an animated film uh, produced by Don Bluth, who had a shingle there at Fox Animation. But then Titan AE came out and was a big flop, and Fox Animation shut down. So then Fox had the rights. They considered doing it like Babe style, where it would be live action animals that they dubbed in dialogue for. I think that would have been too expensive. Or doing animated characters in a live action world like in Pete's Dragon or Mary Poppins. Okay. I think that as ugly as this movie is, computer animation was the right move. I agree with you. Yeah. So DreamWorks picked it up when Fox put it in turnaround. And that's when the directors came on as well. Tim Johnson, who we also talked about because he directed Sinbad. Oof, Sinbad. And Carrie Kirkpatrick, who is mostly a writer. He wrote Chicken Run and also the musical Something Rotten. And he directed Smallfoot. We have to do Chicken Run. Distributed in the United States by DreamWorks. That is enough of a connection for me. There you go. When DreamWorks picked it up, they really wanted it to be Bill Murray as RJ and Harold Ramis for Vern. I mean, of course you would want that. Yeah. Uh, They could not get them, so they cast Jim Carrey as RJ, and then he had scheduling conflicts, so then they cast Bruce Willis, who I would argue is bizarrely good in this movie. He seems to be trying harder than he has in any other movie I've seen him in for a while. It's really strange how good Bruce Willis is in Over the Hedge. He is like, sounds more committed and it's giving a better performance than Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, which pains me to say. No, but I mean, they're just like showing up doing what you hire the two of them to do. It feels like Willis is doing a character. Yeah. I mean, also, I think Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are not voice actors because so much of their comedy is physical. Like, if you think about Best in Show, Cookie's best parts are not her, like, speaking lines. It's a lot of just how she sits in chairs. Yes, that is true. But yeah, I think I think Willis is definitely the best performance in this. There's also some weird stuff, like Avril Lavigne as William Shatner's possum daughter. A character oh that really God. feels like it was written by someone with respect for the youth of today. Oh my God. That Avril Lavigne's just... possum gets such lines as... She's all like, wow, you know? Yeah, it's rough. That's not me, like, paraphrasing. I wrote it down. That is a literal line that Avril Lavigne has in this movie. Yeah, but at one point I also thought that they were going to pair her off with RJ, which they're animated, so you don't know their actual names, but still would have felt creepy. Yes. God. William Shatner, also trying. Yeah, he's all right in this. He's all right. I couldn't tell how I felt about Nick Nolte. His character was so hideous to look at that I just tried to avoid thinking about him. Yeah, that... God, the bear. That bear. Dreadful. The people in this movie were also just so uncomfortable to look at. Yeah, the movie is truly hideous. (laughs) It's so ugly to look at. There's no redeeming quality. It made me feel like my TV had, like aged 15 years and just was now a bad tv because there are like no edges on anybody it's all just like kind of blurred together shark tale is a worse movie but i would rather look at shark tale yes absolutely the animation is so much more interesting at least yeah and shark tale came out two years before this yikes um of course like many dreamworks animation films uh this screened out of competition at the Cannes film festival in 2006 (laughs) it's so funny it's, it was their thing. My friend who I see movies with 
we were like going home from Benedetta and hadn't heard about Jerry Seinfeld ziplining in dressed as a bee at Cannes and I had to stop on the Metro platform and show her on YouTube. (laughs) It's one of the funniest things. That said, the movie did well. It came out May 19th, 2006. So actually before Cannes started in second place behind the Da Vinci Code. It grossed $155 million in the US and Canada and another $188 million worldwide. According to Jeffrey Katzenberg at the time, it just barely didn't make enough to justify a sequel. Thank goodness, because a over-the-hedge sequel would have been so bad. It's just like, where do you go? I mean, I think this movie already doesn't entirely work. Where like, the emotional conclusion, the, the premise of this movie is that Bruce Willis plays a raccoon who steals a bunch of food from a bear. The bear finds out and says, you have a week to replace all of my food or else I'm going to eat you. So then the raccoon goes all, like, Harold Hill and tries to convince the other animals of the forest that, like, the human world is great, come, let's take food from the humans, but he's planning to then just, like, give it to the bear. And at the end of the movie, Vern, the the turtle, played by Gary Shandling, says, look, if you had told us you needed to pay off an angry bear, we would have helped you do that. You didn't need to lie to us. I think that's BS. Given the way that Vern treated RJ at the start of the movie, if he had shown up and been like, hi, you don't know me, I need you to help me collect food to pay off a bear, Vern would have been like, no, we need to collect food for ourselves to store for hibernation. Like, I think the emotional climax of this movie does not work, and I have no interest in watching them attempt to build on it. It's not good. (laughs) The plot, that line, it's... I don't know the point of it, really, besides to make Vern look good. It just doesn't... It's not necessary, either. It honestly deflates it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go out and say, I think this movie is dumb. Yeah. Ugh. But we should probably talk about the romance, which honestly was meatier than I expected. Uh, meatier than a Madagascar, for sure. Yes, but like halfway through the movie, when almost nothing had happened, I was trying to figure out like, okay, how do I break up interactions between Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara as porcupine parents into five points? And I'd like worked out most of it, and they were going to be our shortest points ever. I remembered the cat and skunk thing. So I did know that there would be something. But it was more than I remembered while still being under five minutes of total screen time. So should we move on to the romance so then we can deal with our other business later? Oh, yes. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to guide conversation. Will, as the leader of this week's points, could you take us to number one? Okay. So at the beginning of the movie, it's springtime. All the animals of the forest are waking up from hibernation. And so point number one, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara are married porcupines with very tech-savvy porcupine children. Do por- do all of those animals hibernate? I It's not worth know. looking up. No. <laughs> Raccoons do not, so RJ was not hibernating, which makes sense. Squirrels do. Okay, so that's Hammy taken care of. I don't know about the others. Neither do I. Um... Mark, how do these children who have literally just learned about the human world know how to jury-rig connections for a TV and cable? Because they're kids, Will. I think that is the explanation. Kids know how to do tech stuff. Okay, follow-up question. Can these animals read? I could not decide. I don't think so. So every time they're, like, using magazines or stuff, they're just using pictures? I think so. There's no real situation where they're reading. No, there are just a lot of situations where they could be reading. 
there's situations where there could, but there's no P. Sherman 42 Wallaby Way Sydney. That's true. Where they just are straight up reading. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy, they are married porcupines. Whoa. Not looking so good around the eyes there, hun. Bucky and Quilla were up every three or four weeks, and Spike kept poking me. Yeah, well, he is kind of pokey. Yep, he's the sharpest of the bunch there. You know what? How about I take the day shift? Oh, Lou, that'd be just super. All right, kids, you heard your mother, and now you listen to me. Shape up there. When they wake up from hibernation, Catherine O'Hara is like, ah, I'm exhausted. Like, the kids were waking up every three weeks, and I had to deal with them. So Eugene Levy agrees to take care of the kids for a while, and that's really the last we hear about their relationship. Point two. Point two. (laughs) Okay. In this same scene as they're all waking up, we meet Stella, a skunk played by Wanda Sykes. And Catherine O'Hara is telling Stella, like, hey, you should find yourself a man. And Stella says, it's hard to find a decent man. She does say man. A decent man who doesn't care about skunk smells. A good fella? Uh A good fella? Oh, jeepers, here we go. Why does everyone think I need a man, huh? I look like a nest and smell like a swamp. So when you find a fella who's decent, good with kids, and has no sense of smell, call me. To which I say, what about a male skunk? Right, I think skunks do not care about skunk smells. It's odd. What's interesting to me, they talk about how, like, before this entire huge development apparently went up just during the winter. Like, the entire forest was knocked down, replaced with development. And then sold to occupants in the space of a winter. They talk a lot about like, oh, like the berry bushes are gone and stuff like that. They don't ever mention like other animals that had been in the woods that they can no longer contact. No, Will, there's only six animals in the woods. Like, (laughs) they all had to come from somewhere. I'm pretty sure there's just six. Okay. Where I guess. Um, So, yeah. So Stella is, is lonely. She can't get with a man. So point number three. They've been doing all the stuff where they have to, like, Shenanigans have ensued. For RJ to give back to the bear played by Nick Nolte. Which they don't know about. They're doing their final plan, which involves breaking into Alice and Janney's house to steal a bunch of food from her. And Alice and Janney has a Persian cat that has an electronic collar so it can go through the cat door, but no other animals can get through the cat door. So point number three is they decide Stella has to seduce the cat in order to get its collar. What? You think he's just gonna hand over his collar to you? Not to me, my femme fatale. To you, her? Me? You, Stella, will get that cat to give you his collar by using... My steak. Your feminine charms. <laughs> Was that out loud? Look, raccoon, uh, maybe that mask you're wearing is obstructing your view, but if you haven't noticed, I'm a skunk. On the outside, maybe. But I'm looking inside, Stella, and I see a fox. And all we gotta do is get her out. Because they can make her look like a cat. And the way they make Stella the Skunk look like a cat is by cutting off her bangs. And painting her white stripe. That's true. But mostly They've seen Pepe cutting Le off Pew. her bangs, which everyone agrees makes her hot. Yeah, because apparently her, I mean, her bangs were bad. True. But also, why didn't they give her a haircut earlier if everyone thought they were ugly? They could have done it at any time. When she's like, how do I find a man? Catherine O'Hara could have been like, cut off those bangs. Ugh. All right. So, point four? Point number four. They put the plan in motion. It looks dicey at first because the cat is biased against outdoor animals. But then Stella yells at him, and it turns out this cat is turned on by being yelled at. 
Gee, that's a nice collar you got on. Mind if I have a look? No, 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 no. Come no closer. I must not be so near a creature of the outdoor woods. <laughs> Away with your filth. My filth? <gasps> My filth? All right, Jeepers, here we go. Okay, that's it. I am sick and tired of everybody taking one look at me and running away because they think I'm filthy. Well, I got news for you. I didn't get all pripped and preemed to have some overfed pompous puffball tell me he's too good for me. I got makeup on my butt, dude, and you don't even want to know about the court. Stop! No one has ever spoken to me like that. <gasps> it is bold. I like it. Yes, he is a sub, because no one has ever talked to him that way. And he's really into it. And so he very quickly gives her the collar, which I think is like him taking off his clothes. I don't know. I guess. I mean, I think she just kind of steals it or something. Yeah, hard to say. It happens off screen. The collar just gets thrown to the other animals from outside the frame. Yeah. But this is all going great. She is like stalling him, just getting him to talk all night while the other animals steal the food. And then uh, when they're done the plan, they all run away and... The cat shouts, Stella, like he's in streetcar. Ha ha ha, humor. I chuckled. It was kind of funny. Yeah, it's just such an overplayed joke. It's like, yes, it is. you know they only named her Stella because of that. Yeah, I don't even know if there is a skunk named Stella in the comic. The comic is mostly just RJ and Vern. Yeah, that's what I remember it as. Like, understood it to be. So anyway, that takes us to point number five. The plot has basically succeeded. As all the animals are escaping, Stella has to use her skunk blast to get them out. And everyone is repulsed except for the cat because he doesn't have a sense of smell. So he still loves her. Oh my God. This smell doesn't bother you? No. This face was bred for beauty. I cannot smell a thing. You can't smell. And he comes to see her after the animals murder Alice and Jamie. I mean, she's still alive by the end. Resisting arrest. Because we see her attacking cops. They just, like, explode a bomb on her. Right. Because the bomb just gets rid of her hair. Pest control. God. That character could have been funny if they had written it just slightly better. Like, slightly less over the top. Yeah, it's way out of control. The annoying HOA president is funnier when they're still a person. Yes, absolutely. And the concerns need to be petty. Like, the thing yes. is, these animals actually are causing havoc. It, it is a thing that needs to be dealt with. Yes. Okay. <laughs> now, we've watched Over the Hedge. Do you find the romance 15 believable? down. Oh my god. Um, do I find the romance believable? Basically, no. I think that there have to be other skunks that Stella could be with. And I'm dubious about the cat having no sense of smell. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have that much of a sense of smell. So, I... I relate but i don't it doesn't make like it's so short it's so haphazardly told i just don't believe i there must be other animals in this forest that's the thing there have to be other animals and like the cat is turned on by being yelled at but then also like won't shut up like he talks for the entire night yes oh god Ugh. so every week we rate the romance on a scale of one to ten where would you rate this movie two yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah, do you think whatever. that Stella or <laughs> yeah, do you think Stella or Tiger is dateable? Right, she calls the cat Tiger. Um, basically, I think no. He seems really annoying, and you're setting aside like don't date animals. Like, I think Stella is too in her head about being a skunk to a point that like 
She needs to learn to love herself. Yeah, she needs to work on herself some before she'll be ready to be in a relationship. To address our next question, I also do not think Stella and Tiger will stay together because I think Alice and Janie is going to move. Do you think she'll find the cat? Yes. Okay. Because I think it was going back and forth because I think it is very uh, much a house cat and will not deign to live in the woods, even if it loves Stella. Yeah. All right. I buy it. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would you choose? I want to hear your answer first because I have no idea. It's the mom driving the minivan. Oh. Because she's like normal. That is a good answer. She reacts to hitting a possum normally and kindly. And I'm going to say it is the only answer and take it as well. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Should this movie be made into a musical? Uh, no. No, No, it should not. The closest thing to this movie... Already is a musical. It's called The Music Man. It's about an out-of-towner who cons the people into doing something for his own benefit. It's a pretty good musical. We don't need it with these weird animals. Wow. All right. That's that on that. We have gone over the hedge. We have gone over the hedge and come back. Okay. It turns out that the hedge was a very porous membrane. You don't need to worry about, like, branches at all. You can just run through it. Yeah, you do not need to go over it. You can just, like, cart a wagon through the hedge. (laughs) True. (laughs) But we have gone over the hedge of the year 2021. Yes, this will be our first episode of 2022. It comes out on January the 3rd. So it's it's a nice time for us to get to look back on our movie going, or at least movie watching, in 2021. I'm very excited. I will give the caveat that my movie watching was very spaced out between the summer and then like the last three weeks, which made it hard to rank. So I have my number one, but everything else is done reverse alphabetically so that I can end on my number one. It was very fun for me because at the beginning of December, I sent you a list of stuff to catch up on and where you could stream it. And so... I would periodically get texts from you reacting to movies that I had watched six months earlier. And it was a nice reminder for me of like, oh yeah, these movies are good. Yeah, there were some really good movies this year. Yeah, I think it was a great year. You know, this year was a big milestone for me. It is the first year I watched over 100 new releases within the calendar year. Oh my god. My 100th movie, Peter Rabbit 2 The Runaway. Which is currently streaming on Netflix. God, I think the only reason you became a teacher is so you could watch more movies. I mean, it's the only explanation. (laughs) But so, like, in doing that, you know, I made my list. I just printed out the name of every 2021 movie that I watched, and then I was sorting them into piles. And my pile just of movies that I was considering for the top category was, like, close to 30 movies. So that's exciting. It was a great year. Yeah. And that said, like, I still have not seen a lot of movies I'm excited about. Still haven't seen Red Rocket because it's barely screening in D.C. And I haven't seen, like, any of the foreign movies. The Worst Person in the World, Flea, Parallel Mothers. None of them have opened in the United States yet. Red Rocket barely counts as a 2021 release. No, it opened. It just didn't open at like any theaters within DC. It's showing at oh. all the theaters in Maryland and Virginia. Oh, weird. It's playing at the AMC Hoffman. Like, it's playing at Rio. Hmm. Maybe. Well, I guess I, they sh- closed our office except for essential people. So I guess I will not be going to the office anytime soon. Sure. Uh, yeah, I saw. Not that many movies, but I did have to cut movies that I enjoyed from my list. Well, that's which exciting. Was fun, because that is an improvement over last year. <laughs> last year, you had a nice list of five. Yes. All right, so do we want to do our usual go back and forth? I will be counting down from number 10 to number one. Yes. All right. I can kick it off if you want. All right. 
So my number 10 is the movie Together Together. Ah, a great movie also on my list. I just, Patty Harrison killed me in that movie. But you know who really killed me? Julio Torres. Because He's so funny I, in it. I still say, well, do you have a receipt to Nick a lot? His running bit about just getting a tattoo of every ex he has, no matter how long the relationship. It's funny and that it turns lovely. It does. But just the scene where he brings the clogs to the coffee shop and then to cover it, he's like, can I return these here? And his reaction <laughs> isn't to get, like, say no, but just says, well, do you have a receipt? It's so That's funny. like one of the hardest I've laughed at a movie in a long time. So just for context for people, Together Together, which is currently streaming on Hulu, and people should definitely check it out, is a movie. It was at Sundance last January. I tried to watch it there, but it was sold out. So I actually got to see this in theaters, which was great. It's about Ed Helms as an Ed Helms aged guy who decides like, I haven't gotten married yet. It may never happen, but I want to have a kid. So he decides to have a kid via surrogate and his surrogate is Patty Harrison. And so the movie is just like about their kind of strange relationship, which is not a romantic relationship. It's just a heterosexual friendship as they navigate this like strange period of togetherness. And it's really funny and it's really very sweet. It's also just so insanely cool that they cast a trans woman in that role. Yes, it is. And it's just, it's like not a thing at all. No. It made me so happy because she killed it. Like she was so funny in the role. The scene where she makes Ed Helms demonstrate that he could teach a daughter how to use a tampon is just hysterical. And it crucially manages to be a very funny scene without the joke being like, menstruation is funny. The joke is, it's funny that Ed Helms has no idea how this works. Yes, that is a great scene. Patty Harrison giving a performance that is just so much more grounded than usual. Because usually I see her in my mind as the mogul from I think you should leave. (laughs) Yes, me too. I'm afraid of how much I need wine. (laughs) (laughs) But she just was giving such a well-rounded, grounded performance, and I really loved it. Yeah, that's number six on my list. I really enjoyed it. It's also, like, the first movie I saw in theaters this year, or at least one of them, where I was like, oh, right, the movies are, like, magic. Like, I had this run for months after I started going back to the movies where I was like, no bad movies. Like, I don't care. Mortal Kombat, Chaos Walking, I'm still having a good time being at the movies. And Together Together was the first time I was just, like, really captivated by something yes i agree all right so i'm going down from my 10th mm-hmm. to my first uh my number 10 is one of a truly astonishing number of musicals that came out this year it's in the heights that's like my number 11 i loved it this was a huge year for movie musicals which was pretty exciting even without getting into animated stuff you've got in the heights you've got west side story you've got tick tick boom you have dear evan hansen uh uh-huh. girl boss cinderella uh-huh. cyrano doesn't really open until January. But like there's a lot of musicals and that's fun. And I think in the Heights, especially when it came out in June, like as people were going to the movies again and like it's one of the earliest movies I saw with like a real audience. It's just such an exultant example of what you can do with a movie musical in terms of the way that it plays with color and the camera to just bring that show to life. It was so good. Yeah. I wish it had like been the juggernaut that it should have been, both in terms of like box office and like You know, we got an email like a week after it opened to our podcast account, lovethelovepod at gmail.com, with somebody in all caps demanding that we cover In the Heights immediately. 
And at the time, I was like, no, we're going to talk about it when Best Picture nominations come out and we do our Best Picture thing. And, like, at this point, I don't think that's going to happen, which is a shame because it's such a good movie and such a good example of the things you can do at a studio level. When you have the money behind it, it just turns it into something so special. And you can do it cheaply, but, I mean, they just made the most of the effects. Like, the pool dance number it's incredible it's so good i loved all three of the salon workers yes like everybody in that movie you're like they're a star anthony ramos like let's go uh cory hawkins who's also in Macbeth, is great like it's just it's just all good the actress who plays vanessa should be slash probably will be a star she's gonna For be in sure. a that's melissa barrera she is yes phenomenal she's gonna be in a adaptation of carmen next year Oh, this year. Even like the deep supporting roles in this are really good. Like Olga Merritt is is fantastic. Jimmy Smits is Oh, Jimmy Smits. Just wonderful. I mean, my one complaint about this movie, honestly, is that they cut Jimmy Smith's song from the stage show because I just wanted him to sing to me about his family. Oh my god. I would have loved to see him sing. Just a little bit of him singing Good Morning Usnavi alone brings me joy every time I see it. Yes. In the Heights, now on HBO Max, if you want to watch that. Yeah, it's very accessible. I also really enjoyed seeing Stephanie Beatriz in, like, a fun role using her real voice. Yeah, you can also hear her singing with her real voice in Encanto, which is, I would argue, the second best Lin-Manuel animated musical this year. Wait, he had another animated musical this year? Right now, Mark. Lin-Manuel Miranda is credited in five movies in 2021. Can you tell me what they are? In the Heights, Encanto, no. (laughs) (laughs) The others are Tick, Tick, Boom, which he directed and is really no good, idea. by the way. It's really good. He should direct more movies. Number four is the animated musical he did for Sony that got sold to Netflix, which is called Vivo, which I really liked. Oh. Uh, that movie I thought has, that like, was no... Encanto. No, they're different. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to mix them up. I think Vivo is really good. I thought Encanto was just okay. Uh, most people do not agree with me. And then fifth, he is, of course, featured in Summer of Soul. Oh my god, he is. Wow. Okay. Slow down. <laughs> it was a big year for him. My fiance and I were like really like anticipating when West Side Story came out because if they had used the Spanish translations of like America and other songs that the Puerto Ricans sing on their own, Lin Manuel did those translations for a Broadway production. So we were like, if they do the Spanish stuff, that's a sixth movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But yeah, back to In the Heights. Great movie, available now, would recommend. Yeah, so what's next for you? My number nine, speaking of, is Summer of Soul. Great movie. Which Also streaming on Hulu. We got the opportunity to see that in theaters at the AFI, and I am so grateful. It was so good. One of the first documentaries I've seen in theaters in a long... Obviously, but seen it in a long time. And I just learned so much, and it just had so much joy like it was a celebration of joy which i really enjoyed and one of the things that's cool is even within that you get to see both in the archival footage of the harlem cultural festival and in people today talking about it just what that meant in terms of joy for so many different kinds of people and so many different groups of people yeah all right what was your number nine will uh my next up is uh paul thomas anderson's licorice pizza I'm jealous you got to see that. I want to see it real bad. It is really cool. I think you're going to like it a lot. You know, we were talking about In the Heights as a movie with this young cast of people where you're like, movie stars, let's go. And Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman 
in Licorice Pizza. I'm just like, let's go. Let's get them each in a dozen movies right away. Alana has been my favorite Heim sister for a while. So when she was well, cast in, in the movie, I was very excited. <laughs> but I you also know they are all Danielle's in the movie, in as too. are their parents. I didn't know about the parents. Danielle's in the trailer, and I assumed Esty would be in it too then. The five of them play the Heim family in the movie. That's so They exciting. have a different last name, but I forget what it is. Wow. But yeah, it's just this almost like it shifts between being like sort of like capers, but also being kind of dreamlike moving from story to story. In that sense, it kind of reminds me of uh, one of my favorite books, which is Ray Bradbury's Dandelion Wine, where it's just like the course of a summer to like telling these different stories that sort of fit together, but are sort of just the same characters Mm -hmm. on weird adventures over the course of the summer. There's a lot of debate about how long licorice pizza takes in terms of time for the characters. It is impossible to tell. But ultimately what it's about, at least for me, is just like two people at different points in their lives, but who are both play acting at what it means to be an adult. And they both have different ideas of what that means. And sometimes they have an idea that aligns with the other and sometimes they don't and they wind up fighting with each other. I'm really excited. It's a pretty cool movie. And those two performances are great. I can't wait. My number eight is Spencer. I'm a sucker for a psychological drama about a woman falling apart played by Kristen Stewart. What Have more you do seen you need? Jackie? I, I need to see Jackie. I think I will see Jackie and I will declare myself a Lorraniac. <laughs> I like Kristen Stewart's so good in it. Yes, And then absolutely. Sally Hawkins showed up and I was like, oh, you're here too. I thought every performance was very good. I was so uncomfortable the whole time, which is the point. And, uh, yeah, it was weird because who knows? The queen may have been dead when I was watching it already. <laughs> but my, probably one not. My, one of my favorite things on the internet right now is everyone just assuming the queen is already dead. The thing I like about the theory is just the joke that they're going to hide it until it crosses over into 70 years of her being queen so that she won't have been queen for 69 years. Yeah, it's so funny. And it was also another moment where I was in the theater. And I remembered, oh, wait, I've met Queen Elizabeth II. (laughs) I forget (laughs) that a lot. The two of you used to go to the movies when you were in the UK. Yeah, of course. You saw Parasite together. I wish. Imagine her reaction. But no, I went to church with the Queen and said hi after the service. Uh, Well, before we move on from Spencer, I just want to shout out Timothy Spall, who I think is really good in it. Oh, yes. And uh, also Johnny Greenwood's score. He is having a great year. Because he also did oh the scores God. for The Power of the Dog <laughs> and Licorice Pizza. He, he's crushing it right now. Yeah. So my next movie, my number eight, is Zola. Adapted from a Twitter thread. A sentence that will probably not be the last time you say it in the next few years. No, but I doubt that I will ever say it as thrillingly. That is true. Zola is just this sort of wild story. And the movie does allow you to question its own veracity a little bit. There's the great moment in it where it cuts away to show Riley Keough's version of the story, which is just ludicrous, where Riley Keough presents her as someone who was, like, trying Mm -hmm. to bring Zola to God and then got roped into something weird. Yeah, I love the use of the semi-unreliable narrator. Yeah, it's really well done, and... The story itself is just crazy in the best way as it zigs and zags through weird stuff. And you really have to shout out Coleman Domingo as X, who is Riley Keough's pimp in the movie. 
And he is so great in terms of just how inscrutably he is. He swings wildly through different accents. He's got such an intensity. You can never pin him down. He's going to be my pick for supporting actor. I'm sure of it. He's so good in this movie. Uh, yeah. And I mean, obviously, Nicholas Braun as the goofy boyfriend who has no idea what's going on. He's so funny. It's so funny. All right. Number seven for me is the most claustrophobic movie I've ever seen. And it is Shiva Baby. Ah, yes. Uh, Where was on my long list. The walls are crashing in around me as I watch this film. It's so good. It's great. Uh, This movie is streaming on HBO Max if people want to watch it. I just, I can't believe that Fred Malamud is just everyone in Hollywood's dad right now. He's so good at it. He shows up in everything in basically the same role, and I love him every time. My favorite Fred Malamud dad role is still from the Lake Bell movie, In a World where he plays a legendary, like, trailer voice actor, and she's his daughter, like, trying to break into the business. I also, like, I can't believe that Quinn from Glee was in it. And I also- So that means nothing to me, because I did not watch Glee. She's, like, the the blonde, her sugar daddy's wife. wife. Yes. And it is funny, because everyone's talking about her, and it's like, oh, her father's Jewish, which doesn't count, which, like- she is Jewish, and no one believes her because she looks the way she does. Oh, I talked about this movie a little bit on our Space Jam episode, which was her like mid-year check-in in movies. Oh, yes. It's about a young woman who has to go to a funeral of like a family friend, and when she is there, her sugar daddy is there along with his wife and small child. And also her ex-girlfriend. Yeah, it is just a great... It's like 80 minutes but of just, like, social intensity. 80 minutes of real-time social interactions. It's very good. marvelously uncomfortable. What is your number seven? My number seven, this is my, like, one chance to, like, be a little, like, snobby on here of a movie that is not yet in theaters, uh, which is Petite Maman, the new Celine Sciamma movie, her follow-up to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I saw early as part of the AFI's European Union Film Festival. You might not see it on camera, Will, but I am doing the jack-off motion. (laughs) I could not see that. I saw you roll your eyes a lot. (laughs) It's, ugh. Obviously, it's mostly motivated by jealousy. Yes. Hey, single tickets to Sundance go on sale next week, so I will be getting to do this all over again. Uh, Um, But Petite Maman, it's a lovely movie. It is also 70 minutes. Oh my god. Which is a runtime as cute as the kids who are in it. Uh, So wait, what's it about? It's this, like, kind of dreamlike thing. It's about a little girl who is playing in the woods, and she meets another little girl who is played by her... These actors are... They're real-life twin girls who are, like, 10 years old. And it is never stated explicitly in the movie, but it is clear that she has wandered into some kind of anomaly, and she is playing with her mother as a child. And the movie is about this sort of unusual relationship that is understood but never stated outright. As they come to this kind of understanding with one another, but also are just, like, playing and being goofy. There's a lot of business where they, like, play pretend, but they're, like, playing courtroom with each other. And it's very funny. It's a very sweet little movie. Wow. I will definitely check that out when it is more readily available. Yeah, Neon is releasing it, I think, in, like, February. And then it will hopefully go on Hulu at some point next year as well. Yeah. Fingers crossed. So what's next for you? All right. My number six... 
I prop might be on your list too is the power of the dog. That is my number three. Yeah. It's so good. This is the new movie from Jane Campion. It's her first movie in like 12 years. It's set on a ranch in Montana in the 1920s, which is such a good time to set it because you have like, it's two rich brothers, Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Plemons. And Jesse Plemons is like wanting to be the society guy. He's like having dinner with the governor and stuff like that. And dresses like in the 20s style. He gets married to Kirsten Dunst, his real life wife. And then she's, like, on a Montana dusty ranch in the 20s wearing flapper dresses. Yeah. Because they're, like, tapped into the city. It's so weird, that choice alone. But, ugh, it's so good. And on the other hand, you have the brother, Benedict Cumberbatch, who is very much like, no, like, I'm a frontiersman. I'm, like, a rugged, rude cowboy. But he's, I he's got his own, like, weird complications. Ever. Like, he went to college. Like, he has a college degree from a university in the East. From Yale. I couldn't remember. I was pretty sure it was Yale. So, like, he's this weird figure. The whole movie is one where, like, there are these tense relationships on the frontier with nothing else around. Like, it's the best of what Westerns are. And then that last half hour of it is just, like, one domino after another falling as you realize how much has been going on this whole time. Oh, my God. I just, I don't want to say too much more because I really liked going in blind. It's one of the best movies of the year. It's It's on Netflix. Watch it. The Power of the Dog. The power of the dog. Okay. okay, my number six is Together Together. We talked about it. It's on Hulu. People ah, should yes. watch it. It's funny. A lot of these movies aren't funny. Together Together is funny. Have a good time. Uh, my number five, very funny, is The Mitchells and the Machines. Great movie. Which I was so delightfully surprised by because it's the yes. first, I feel like it's one of the first internet culture movies does it in a way that's not cringe. Uh, for sure. The way they incorporate some memes, it has weird internet graphics, but it works, and it's funny. Yeah, it's produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, who, among other things, directed Into the Spider-Verse, as well as, like, Cloud with a Chance of Meatballs and stuff like that. And like Spider-Verse, it has a really cool mix of different styles of animation, which I really appreciated. In terms of it's playing with its lead character is an artist. And so like her types of drawings are interspersed with the more traditional Sony pictures animation. Obviously, I'm a sucker for the fact that she's queer and it's like explicit from pretty early on, but it's not a plot point, really. Right, it's it's just accepted. It's just accepted. It's not the reason that she has a falling out with her dad. It's the fact that, like, they're just into different things. But she has a rainbow pin on her backpack. She clearly has a crush on a girl at college before she even goes, which is just so classic high school. But yeah, it's about Apple. I just can't believe they named him Mark. <laughs> like, it's making, it's <laughs> like Silicon Valley killing the world and the main guy leading it, voiced by Eric Andre, is just named Mark. There's no subtlety there. And Olivia Coleman voices an evil AI that tries to launch every human into the sun. Olivia Coleman having a great year. She's also in The Lost Daughter, which, as we record, hits Netflix tomorrow and is a really good movie. Eric Andre also in a movie that almost made my list. Uh, he's in Bad Trip, the prank movie on Netflix with Lil Rel Howery. That's very fun. <laughs> is it? Okay. It's Maybe I'll so it good. Okay, well, what's your number five? Um... Before I get into it, I just want to double down on Mitchells versus the Machines being really good. People should watch it. As you said, it's fun. It's one of the last trailers I saw in theaters before the pandemic, back when it was called Connected. And the trailer was bad, but the movie is good. 
Yeah. I mean, I was cackling on the plane when I watched it. Mark, my number five is a movie we saw together. It's Dune! Ugh, Dune is my number two because the alphabet. But yes, I just... It's Dune. Like, you've heard about it. It's amazing. (laughs) We've spent three years talking about it. The thopters, the ornithopters are bugs instead of birds. It's so good. Within the Heights, I mentioned, like, my appreciation for doing something big and exciting with studio money. And Dune is the ultimate example of just, like, Denis Villeneuve got a ton of money and it's all on screen. The movie looks incredible. It sounds incredible. It's full of famous people going nuts. I love Dune. The spaceships. The spaceships are so good. I mean, the scale of the movie is just massive. And it's a big movie, it's a long movie, and everything in it is big. There's big ships, big worms. It's great. Big explosions. Boom! Yeah. It's oh, what Dune. a good movie. <laughs> I have pre-ordered the 4K Steelbook, and it will be on my doorstep in like two weeks. Oh my god. I love Dune. Alright, my number four is The Green Knight. Ah, that's my number two. Kind of controversial. I know a lot of people that didn't like it, but I was really into it. Those people are dumb. I thought Dave Patel did such a good job. Alicia Vikander, so good. The Green Knight correctly understands that Dev Patel is one of our hottest movie stars. It also, just like, my biggest critique is it could have been gayer. Having read the poem, the, you know... 14th century poem one of the most homoerotic things i've ever read the chivalric romance by anonymous as it says in the movie yes they change a lot like a lot from the poem but i liked the changes it's such a cool example of adaptation it is and it's really just it's taking themes from the green knight and playing them out on screen completely differently than they're played out in the poem even if the story's different It's also just a gorgeous-looking movie. I mean, yes. It's also just beautiful to watch. Yeah, I love The Green Knight. It's great. Let's go. (laughs) Yes. All right, Will. Your number four. My number four is another one that's on Netflix. Netflix is having a really good year. Um, In the midst of all the, like, dreck that they churn out, like, yes day, they also finance a lot of good movies. So my number four is Passing. I, I really... I have it downloaded on my phone. I just have not gotten to it. I, like, I been watching movies on planes i know phones are not the ideal way but gotta get it in when you can i totally understand i did get to see this in theaters which was cool because i think the black and white photography of the movie is even more interesting the bigger the screen so i'd really encourage people to watch passing on like whatever your largest screen possible is it's at times super washed out because uh the movie which is based on a novella from the 1920s and it's set in the 20s is about a light-skinned black woman in this movie played by Tessa Thompson, and I think she's incredible in it. A lot of attention is being paid to Ruth Nega in the other role, who is good. I think Thompson is kind of the standout for me. But so she's a light-skinned black woman, and one day it's, like, really hot, and she decides, like, I can get away with passing, and she, like, goes into a hotel lobby to, like, cool off and get a drink, and she sees there a girl that she went to school with, played by Ruth Nega, with her white husband. And like Ruth Nega is clearly passing as white. And so like the whole movie then is about like their sort of newfound relationship and like their relationship to each other and also to like the other people in their family and their communities that they orbit. It's really, really fascinating and very sort of cerebral in the choices they are and are not willing to make and how they relate to the other people in their lives. 
Wow. Yes, I am very interested. I will watch it soon. It's one of a couple of really cool like first films by people this year. The Lost Daughter, mm. which is directed by Maggie Gyllenhaal, is another one. Passing is directed by Rebecca Hall. And in both cases, I'm like, hmm, these ladies should like, they're good actors, but like make some more movies. All right. My number three is a movie that is not one of the top 10 best movies of the year. I knew that you would include the other ones that I have seen and would include on your list. So <laughs> okay. I just wanted to talk about it. I am I including it because that. it is my top 10 movie experience of the year. And that is it is Space Jam F- New Legacy, Mark? No, it is F9. Because <laughs> I have rarely had so much fun at the movie theater. It was a blast! It was my first movie back. It was the ninth in a series in which I had seen Zero. And every twist and turn had to be gasp. I smiled. I laughed. It's just Dame Helen Mirren showed up. Doing a Cockney accent. Doing a Cockney uh, a, a big car went vroom off a cliff and then a plane zoomed down and used a magnet to pull it on board. Like, what more do you need? It was a perfect reminder of what silly blockbuster filmmaking could be. I loved it. I had a great time. I've watched now two other Fast and Furious movies, and they are both good. But I think F9's absolute ridiculousness really just, I had such a good time. And I think the first movie I saw in theaters back, regardless of what it was, would probably have cracked my top 10 from just, like, experience alone. But boy, am I glad that it was this one. Yeah. So I thought about gaming the list like you did to try to not have overlap. But I decided, like, I use my list for other stuff. Like, my students ask me. So I did not squeeze the last duel in here. Yeah. I really want to see that. It's so good. Uh, My number three is Power of the Dog. We talked about it. It's on Netflix. It's great. Go see it. My number two is Dune, which we've already talked about. Uh, My number two is The Green Knight. I think our number ones might be the same. Maybe. Does yours start with a B? It does. I do want to shout out real quick. What I think my... If we were going with top 10 movies we watched in 2021, including those that didn't come out in 2021, just want to give a shout out to 2015 Spy, which I watched for the fourth time a few weeks ago. <laughs> Holds up. Laughed harder than I laugh at most movies, except number one. Okay. Before we say it, I had a hard time arriving at number one this year. I feel like a lot of years, like, I know. Like, I'm going to make my list. I know what number one is. I'm figuring out the rest. Like, We've done this in the past with, like, First Reformed or First Cow or Mm -hmm. The Last Black Man in San Francisco. (laughs) And, you know, it was, like, two weeks ago, and I knew I was starting to think about this. And I, like, couldn't figure it out. I was like, what's the movie that I saw that just, like, I was like, this is movies. Like, movies are great. I love movies. And I was like, maybe it's The Green Knight. Maybe it's The Power of the Dog. Those wound up with my two and three. And I was, like, casting about. And I was like, oh, maybe, like, it's a movie that I saw multiple times this year. And I was like, In the Heights I saw twice. I saw The Green Knight twice, and I realized it was a movie that I rented, and then I bought the (laughs) Blu-ray. And we have talked about it many times. The best movie of 2021 is Barbara Stargo Stargo to Mr. Del Del Mar. I mean, there was no question that this would be my number one. I sat down to write my list. I put number one, Barbara Stargo to Vista Del Mar, now to fill in the other nine. (laughs) It's just glorious it's what movies should be 
It's funny. It's got songs. It's got wacko special effects, like when people parachute using their culottes. It has some of the greatest cameos. Like, the final cameo is one of the best cameos of all time. Andy Garcia plays Tommy Bahama. Oh my god. Reba McIntyre just shows up, and you're just like, uh, of course. Like, of course it's Reba. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar is this podcast's number one movie of 2021. We have never aligned like this. It's streaming on Hulu. Watch it immediately. Or, even better, like us, go and buy the Blu-ray <laughs> so you can own it forever. God, I'm going to watch I that again. I bought it during the Oscars when I got bored. Maybe I'll watch it tomorrow. A great move. <sighs> wow. We did it. Well, there we go. We have uh, wrapped up 2021. We're back at the movies. And I'm excited about 2022. We're going to get a new Mission Impossible. Oh, I love movies. Speaking of movies, next week we're watching a bad one. (laughs) After it was ingloriously erased from the upcoming schedule, we are finally making our way back to Dylan Dog, Dead of Night. It's got some interesting stuff. Yes. A wannabe film noir set in New Orleans about vampires. It mostly feels like a TV pilot from 2010. Ugh. Get ready for a surprising amount of conversation about the TV show Supernatural. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Mark, here is a wild question for you. Oh, God. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from Over the Head? Wow. Mm. A movie this podcast is ostensibly about. If bangs are not working for you, you should get rid of them. That's a great one. Uh, Mine is, if your partner needs help with something, help them. We never hear Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara have another problem (laughs) in terms of (laughs) co-parenting after that first exchange. So clearly it worked. All right, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. We're rocking the suburbs. i